It's saying to my rapist, you didn't break me. In fact, you made me stronger. And now I am going to use every bit of power to make sure that all these predators know that we're not going to be victims anymore. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Eyes Up, Heart Open, the podcast where I get to know the people I already know in my life by sitting with them and asking the questions we don't always make time to ask. I subscribe to the belief that we are all connected and have a story to share. In February of 2016, Zeke Thomas, the 28-year-old musician son of NBA legend Isaiah Thomas, was raped in his apartment by a man he met on the popular dating app Grinder. The experience nearly destroyed him, but after finally opening up months later and seeking help, Zeke has come forward as the first male ambassador for the National Sexual Violence Resource Center and released a PSA supporting survivors of sexual assault for Sexual Assault Awareness Month this past April. I met Zeke in 2014 during a photo shoot for his new single in New Haven, Connecticut. He was larger than life, but quieter than I expected. We had a great time, wrapped up the shoot, and went our separate ways. A few weeks ago, I saw the clip from Good Morning America where Zeke had sat down with Robin Roberts and came out publicly as a survivor of rape. I was so surprised and sad to hear the news and reached out to Zeke's manager, my friend Ed, to see if Zeke would want to sit down with me and share his story. Zeke invited me to his apartment in Queens, and we sat in his cozy kitchen and talked. The sounds of the train can be heard in the background, and his adorable dog Zeus pops in and out for water or a snuggle. It was as comfortable as you could get while sharing this heartbreaking story, and despite the heavy discussion, we found plenty of times to laugh and bring some levity to the conversation. What prompted you to come out and and share this story now? What prompted me to come out and share this story now, um, it was really all about me. And I I say that um, with humble respects to everybody who's dealt with sexual assault and rape, but it was, it was definitely all about me. It was like I, I felt the only way for me to properly heal completely or to attempt to heal completely. I don't feel this, that trauma is ever something that you completely get rid of. I feel you'll always be dealing with trauma. It's just at what level you'll be dealing with it and how you're dealing with it in a healthy way. But I decided to speak my truth and because I felt I had to scream it out. Mm-hmm. and had to scream it out to everyone possible. And the fact that I was able to do it on ABC with Robin Roberts... Um, that led me to knowing that it wasn't just all about me, that this could help people and I wanna help people. I wanna I wanna bring light to male sexual assault just as much as female sexual assault, just as much as transsexual assault. Um, sexual assault is something that is going on every day in our society and is not talked about and is mocked even um, in society and is forgotten, is looked over and people 
have been elevated um, to positions of power, to positions of leadership, to you know positions of great wealth, um, who have been accused or settled or made comments um, to lead you to believe that they are rapists or sexual assaulters. Mm, we were talking about President Trump. Yep. Um, Bill O'Reilly. Yep. Um, Bill Cosby. Yep. Um, former number one pick in the NFL draft, Jameis Winston. Um, what about Kobe Bryant? Kobe. <laughs> what are your thoughts there on are... that? I had a I had a I had a very interesting discussion with my son about Kobe Bryant because he was idolizing him and he did it in front of me and I said wait a second, do you know about all this other stuff? And he, it was very interesting. I think he was maybe 12 at the time. No. Got very defensive before he heard anything. And I said, okay, let's look up some articles. Let's look up some, you know, things that that support what this woman said. And it, it was actually devastating as a parent to watch my son the light see that. Off. And the, the light went off and his admiration of this basketball player just plummeted. You look at that case, um, but that was before really the 24-hour news cycle, mm-hmm. before, um, before a lot of you know, things in this country happened, before, it was before gay marriage, it was before mm-hmm. um, Don't Ask, Don't Tell got taken away, it was before women could even openly serve in combat. Um, like there were a lot of things, progressive things that have happened in our country since that. Um, I don't know if we'll ever know, you know, what happened or, you know, what went on. I, I, I personally, I, I, I haven't even thought about it. Um, it's interesting because he... It's always something that plays in my mind whenever I, whenever I talk about, whenever I think of Kobe. Don't get me wrong, I I think about that moment when he was at the press conference, like when he was on the table. When he was on, when he did a press conference, um, I remember the press conference, it was almost a Tiger Woods-esque, except he was talking about sexual assault um, and going back and forth. And he was flying from Denver to Los Angeles to play in basketball games and the drama behind that and it was almost as if you know that's Kobe he could never do something like that Mm. and I feel that that is that's what's gotten a lot of these men away with these things and even at the same time when we think about people who we do believe could do these things how do we live in a society that doesn't call bullshit. Just allows it to, okay, that's, this can't be the norm. This can't be, you know, when you talk about children, this can't be what you want your children to see. This can't be what you want your children to practice. Um, You know, it's, it's that TV show, How to Get Away with Murder. I guess it's how to get away with rape, how to get away with sexual assault. Apparently and, it's not that difficult. It is, it's, apparently it's not. No. Apparently you could blatantly say that you have done these things and just, it, it goes, it just drifts away. 
And, and as, you know, for victims of sexual assault to see that, and also for my daughter to see this, you know, it was, it was devastating to watch my son lose an idol and lose respect for somebody he idolized for a while. I didn't like being the bearer of bad news, but I felt like responsible to tell him. I did, and it's exactly how I felt. And my daughter was there for the, uh, for the conversation also, and the message it sends her and also my son is that if you have enough money, if you have enough power, it doesn't matter what the truth is, right? If you have the persona that, you know, it's Kobe Bryant. He's so sweet. He's America's sweetheart. He's just this wonderful guy and he's so talented. Like, why would he need to do that? And, you know, he could get anybody he wanted. Why would he need to rape anybody, right? Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean he didn't. I mean, I don't know that it was necessarily proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he did, but... But the fact that that cloud still hangs over him, and then he's on fucking Jim and Jimmy Fallon, like what's Jimmy Fallon thinking? Is he thinking like like we are, where it's in that it's always in my head now. Whenever his name comes up, I'm like, seriously, again with this guy? Like enough? Like I, I'm sick of hearing about this guy, yeah. you know? Um, so anyway, we kind of segued in a whole other direction of like people in power. But I, I do think it's important to. To, to realize what that feels like. And I think that that did feel, that's how I felt when Trump was elected. I felt like so vulnerable as a woman. It was like he gave free reign to every guy to just sexually assault I mean, it, it, women. People want to say that it didn't, um, it didn't elevate, uh, you know, rapist, sexual assault, um, white supremacists, um, well, they call, call themselves the alt the alt right. I believe that there's two different people. There's, <laughs> right. there's definitely white supremacy, and then you want to call yourself the alt right. Okay, go ahead. Um, but he's he's elevating a, a a nationalist movement, and he celebrates dictatorships. You reference Jimmy Fallon. I'm going to reference Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel's Son, he just had a newborn son um, about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He was born with a heart defect, um, a pre-existing condition. Um, Jimmy Kimmel has enough money to fight it, but he said, and he broke down on tears in his on his show, that he said, if if I didn't have enough money to fight this, my child would die. No parent should have to make that decision. And Donald Trump just gutted healthcare of that. Not it hasn't hasn't come to law yet, but that's what he believes. He believes if you have a pre-existing condition, you ultimately should die. That's the reality. And did you did you know that rape was listed as one of the rape was listed as the pre-existing condition that got stripped away? Yes. Mm -hmm. And. That's something I want to fight him on. How did that make you feel to hear that? It made me feel horrible. And at the same time, it didn't surprise me. And at the same time, it also made me feel this is a man who's just covering his steps. In what way? 
Because the biggest thing that a, that, that, a, that a victim goes through, at least for me, is you struggle for people to believe you. You just want people to hear you. You just want to be believed. So if you take away that now you can get doctor's coverage or get medical leave because of this, that's just somebody else more saying, I don't believe you. Right. Did you think people weren't going to believe you when you came out and told them about it? Yeah. Who was the first person you told? Um, first person I told, um, I, know, I, I know my parents weren't the first, but I had, um, I told a lot of my friends under the influence. And I feel like they just kind of shrugged it off because they were under the influence. Mm. Um, so telling my parents, I'd still like to point to that as the first time I actually had a serious conversation about it. Now, how did, how do you do that? How do you have that conversation with your parents? Did you sit them down and say, have a big dramatic reveal or did you just... I just screamed it over the phone and then we went home, then I went home the next day. What did you scream exactly? What did you say? I was raped. Wow. And what was their reaction? They were crying, and I was crying. And yeah, then I went home and I went home the next day and we had an actual conversation about it. You didn't want to believe that this could happen to me twice. And you didn't want to believe that. You didn't want to believe that you were a victim. You know, you didn't want to be put in that box. Here I was, you know, strong, wanted to do anything, and then all of a sudden it was just the lights went out. And all I wanted to do for an entire year, all I wanted to do was harm myself. Whether that was through drugs, alcohol, or physically trying to harm myself. I couldn't deal with it. And I didn't want to talk about it. I remember after telling friends, I remember them saying, you know, some, we knew something was wrong, but we didn't know how to approach you. We just thought, you know, at the worst, maybe, you know, you were <clears throat> becoming a drug addict, so to speak. And that, you know, we were going to maybe get you some help for that and send you to rehab or whatever, but never could they have imagined that this, that, you know, rape was the, the answer. Even after you confided to them, I know you guys were high, but you don't always forget that, you know, that your experiences, you, you might gloss over it I, because you, yeah, did, I, you I, did reach out, even though you may, you might've been under the influence. And I, they would say, been. I, I would say though, I never reached out to the right friend. That's, you know, yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't sitting around my best friends or whatever. I, I, I not to say, you know, they weren't. They're not friends of mine, but they're not 
they're not friends of mine. <laughs> right, they couldn't handle what you were what you were telling them. How long after it happened did you tell your parents? It took eight months. Jeez. And that was eight months wow. of extreme manic behavior. Because I was working in an office, too. I was working, actually, in my dad's office. I was um, basically point person of, of the creative development of a lot of um, new things they were doing, whether it was champagne or working um, you know, in sports management. And there were days when I was on, and there were days when I was completely off. In the days when I was on, I was just a machine. I wouldn't stop. I was just going, 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 and then I'd crash. Yeah. And when I'd crash, I couldn't start again. And then there were days when I just was so irritable. I would yell at the barista at Starbucks just for having my order like a minute late. <laughs> Not that I actually ever did that. It's just an example of just how, like in the office, I definitely yelled at, you know, a couple co-workers for no reason. Absolutely no reason. And I got asked to go home a couple of times. They didn't know what was going on. And then I finally, I told them. And it all just started to click for everybody that I needed help. How long after that? After, I mean, what did that, what did that actually feel like when you told them? I say doing the interview with Robin, that was like a boulder coming off my, 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 my shoulders. And telling my parents and my family and friends, co-workers, I feel like that was just preparation for what I wanted to do. And yeah, I said it was really for me to scream it out. But at the same time, I felt, I felt that I knew I was going to serve a bigger purpose by me going public. It was the first thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to go public, and I kept on saying that. I didn't move away from it. People said, you know, let's, let's do the work, let's do therapy. I said, yes, we're going to do that, and when I'm ready, I'm going public. Well, maybe you'll change your mind, you know. I said, okay, but if I'm ready, I'm going public. And it was always that thought process, and Yeah, I'm saying that it was it was for me. But I realized that nobody's talking about this. And I'm not going to be able to find this guy. He deleted me on Grindr, so couldn't find it. Couldn't find him if I tried. Didn't have his phone number. Describing him as a brown-haired, blue-eyed guy, white guy. Pretty generic. Pretty generic, yeah. <laughs> Um, it, I wanted, I want to just influence so much change in this 
area. I mean, my grandmother said, you know, you need to be giving people a 1-800 number to call. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't want to call a damn 1-800 number. Why would anybody my age, a little older than me, younger than me, younger than me, definitely are calling a 1-800 number? Why can't we tweet like like we tweet Delta Airlines and our flight is delayed and we want to figure this out? I could tweet, hey, Delta, help. Why can't I tweet to, you know, Sam, which is Sexual Assault Awareness Month or, you know, the... National Resource Center for Sexual Abuse. Um, why can't I tweet to you and say, hey, I just got assaulted, or hey, I'm in a bad way. Can you help? And then they reach out to me. Why is everything on the victim, so to speak, to... It, it, it was very hard to jumpstart my engine. I don't want to make it harder for other people to have to jumpstart theirs. That's why I feel so many things go unreported, unsaid, undealt with. Because you're just in shock. You're in a constant line of shock. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to eat. I didn't, all I wanted to do was sleep. Sometimes all I wanted to do was get high. Sometimes all I wanted to do was jump off a building. I just wanted the pain to go away. And you definitely have to do the work. But I wish there was somebody to get you started. And luckily I had my parents and my friends to do that after I told them. But I feel for the people who don't. And even though you had those people, it still took eight months of struggling, of, you know, hiding behind the high of a drug or wanting to hurt yourself until you finally came around to open up to them. You know, it wasn't like it was an immediate thing for you. No, it was. And there were a lot of things just going on that, you know, there were there were some friends who I had that, Turned out not to be friends who I had, you know, said it to. Like you said, I had said it to when we were under the influence. And they, they didn't deal with, they didn't help me. In fact, they even, they hurt me. (laughs) How so? I remember one guy I said it to, and... I was dating another guy at the time, and because I was dating him and he saw me falling apart, he started dating him. How sick is that? Did you know in your gut that that was going to happen the night that it did? You said you met this guy on Grindr, and I did, no. I did some research and read in more detail the article. I think it was um, in New York Magazine, and you went into much more detail there than with uh, Robin Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you met him on Grindr, and... I mean, tell, so, so one, of the, one of the things, too, is I, I think when people hear Grindr, you know, and a lot of my friends are, that are on Grindr are like, oh, yeah, I, when I want to have sex, I, you know, go on Grindr, meet up with somebody and just meet them and go on a couple of dates, have sex, and I'm done. Gay people in general have a stigma 
for whatever reason, they have a stigma that we are horned up individuals just looking for our next nut, so to speak. And that's an unfair stigma to cast on an entire group of people. Um, Sure, yeah, some people, you know, have sex. I doubt people have sex every single minute of every single day the way that it's portrayed. Um, It's definitely an unfair stigma, but the app Grindr in general, I've met great people, I've met great friends on Grindr. This guy, I mean, did you meet him twice? I met him once, and then I met him twice in that time. Um, I got raped. After being, you know, in therapy and speaking with, you know, multiple survivors and people who do this work, you know, 20 plus years, I believe that that guy who raped me is a predator. Mm. And this was not his first. And people who do this, um, they know what they're doing. They know how to, you know, rope you in. You know, I got drugged. Probably knew how to do that too at the right opportune time. Now you met, you mentioned that you think you tasted it in your drink, but you just kind of were like there. That well, I was at a bar, um, but I had been to a million times over, so I knew the bartender. You know. I knew the bartenders, and like, no, you know, maybe there was soap in this glass that now I'm tasting, so mm. to speak. But no, I, I never in a million years would have thought it was. It's one of my favorite bars. I've I've gone back. Um, this guy is a horrible person. Now, did you go get the drink yourself, or did he get you the drink? I did not get the drink myself, but I was not. It wasn't like I was in the bathroom. Right. I was standing there. My back might have been turned talking to somebody. Yep. And now the reason I ask that is not a blame question. I want to be very clear, just so you know I'm not. I want people listening to know that it can happen when you're standing right the fuck there with your drink. You turn your head away and they could just slip it in your drink. Um, And I think women are overwhelmingly cautioned about accepting drinks from people they don't know. But what about people you quote unquote do know that you met him before? You already had probably texted him a bunch of times, maybe had some phone calls, went out. You feel like you know somebody at that point. You feel you kind of have this false sense of security or safety, right? Um, And so women are told, don't let other people buy your drinks or be, you know, to be cautious. But men have to be aware of that too, right? Because yeah. it can happen so quickly and easily. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and there's no, was there any level of anything about this guy that made your no, gut go off? No Nothing? I was, ugh, and this is sick. I was, I was intrigued, but I didn't think that we would end up together. But yet, I was in a new city, and I was looking for friends or whatever, whatever it would have turned out to be. I was open to it, but I just got, my whole life got destroyed. The reason I ask about the gut is because as a parent, you know, 
this is a conversation I'm having with my 12 and 14 year old son, daughter and son about listening to your gut and how important it is and how often we don't, especially women, we push it down. We're not, we're not allowed to say no. People will try to convince us or change our mind or whatever. Um, and so I literally tell my kids, like, you, you literally feel it in your stomach. You feel your stomach get tight. You feel like a fluttering in your stomach. It makes you feel uncomfortable. It's not a good feeling, and you need to listen to it. So to hear you say there was nothing is so, like, it's crushing to hear that. Like, I almost wanted to hear you say, like, well, there was just one time he gave me a weird feeling, but I ignored it or something just so... Do you understand what my yeah. fear is, 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 is sending, you know, and I'm sure your mom and dad felt this too, is like you, you have kids and then you send them out into the world and they've got to learn to listen to their gut and trust their instincts. And there was no warning that this was going to happen. It's hard to, it's hard to point at something that I could have done differently. It's very hard to point at something I could have done differently because I've done the same thing over and over again a million times, and this is one in a million. So I don't know that answer. So what did you do? What did you do after? Because it sounds like you've gone on some dates since because you've got a current boyfriend. So do you? Are you then like, kind of stutter stepping a little? Where you're like, ah, is this real? Is this not real? Do I try? Like, how are your instincts? How are your? How was that for you dating after something like this? It's been a process of realizing that there are more good people than bad people in the world. I didn't want to date. I didn't want to have sex. I didn't want to do anything afterwards for months. And then I did. And I let someone in. And I'm happy I did. Now we're... How are they about everything? They know when I am not giving, when I'm, when I'm bottling up my emotions. They know it. And they want me to show them, to them. That's the one thing that I would say that... Um, gets us into arguments. Like, just talk to me, just talk to me, just talk to me. And I'm getting better with that. Are you in therapy? Yes. I mean, it's something you always... You're going to be dealing with this. And if you're not dealing with it the proper way, it's going to eat you alive. And then to come out so publicly is so brave. That's incredibly brave. And I, I have to say, when I watched that I was really moved because of course I'm, I'm thinking of my son. What if that happened to my, my son? Um, which is when you were telling the story of when you called your parents and I just was sitting here crying. I was thinking like if I got that call, what that would feel like as a mom. I can only imagine what your parents must have felt. I'll always be feeling the trauma the most, so to speak. Yeah. But this is a trauma that then goes to my parents, goes to my sister, goes to my friends. Yep. It's something that everybody is going through. And that's something I didn't realize was going to happen by going public. Um, was that 
everybody would now have to either ask questions or face the reality that this is reality, so to speak. I do feel like vulnerable and exposed, as we were talking about earlier with, you know, the current president. Um, As a woman, I feel that way. But as a man, how do you feel coming out and telling the world you were raped? Because it, it just, there's so many stigmas with that, with, you know, being a man, like, can men be raped? You know, I remember having that conversation when we were kids growing up, and I first heard of it, and I was like, wow, men could be raped? I didn't know. So what does that feel like for you? I've been trying to, well, not trying, I've, I've looped us all into one group. We are all sexual assault victims. Um, man or woman, trans, it's, it's not a gender thing. It's not a sexuality thing. It's not a race thing, color thing. This is something that we have to deal with as a society. And the only way to deal with things, as I believe that we're learning in the resist movement, as you referenced President Trump, is we have to come together and we have to fight. I believe the next step for me... I do want to fight the Trump care. That's something that, you know, I, I, I do want to take a, a stab at. But more importantly, I want to speak to more victims. But also, I, I, I want to continue to heal myself um, through this process of doing these interviews and going public. It's, it hasn't opened up the old wound. It's almost opened up a new wound of now... Now that they believe you, what do you do? So how many interviews have you done to date about this specific topic? There's quite a bit online. I looked it up to see. I've lost count, but I would say at least 20, probably more. Has it gotten easier or harder to talk about it? Depends on the day. There was one day when I had to do eight. And it wasn't just eight with like... Razzmatazz journalism was like BET, CBS, like Fox. Like it was like if you're not on, they're gonna eat you alive, so to speak. Do you do you feel like you were asked anything that made you really uncomfortable, or you didn't want to share? Talk about? The biggest thing that made me uncomfortable that was insulting to me was a journalist um, asked me about coming out as a gay man. And I was only insulted because they made the reference that my family didn't accept me because of being in athletics. And it was really off base, off topic, and that was insulting to me. It's something that's been talked about and dealt with before, and my family was the utmost supportive. And then even, you know, from then, you know, you had people in the comment section, you know, talking about, you know, how my dad's homophobic. And I'm like, my dad has more gay friends than I might. (laughs) 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 But, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, my parents are the utmost open-minded people. I'd say, except when it comes to Rap music. 
I want to ask you how you felt sitting there across from Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. I didn't realize how powerful that was until after. For who? For you? For her? For us? For the world. Because one of my friends broke it down for me and said, do you realize it costs $400,000 a minute on Good Morning America? That's, that's the advertising number. $400,000 a minute. I got four to talk about male sexual assault, to talk about my rape, to talk about rape in general, to talk about sexual assault in general. And even when they came back from, from the interview and you saw George Stephanopoulos and Michael Strahan, everybody was just kind of just shocked <laughs> and yeah. Robin was just like trying to get it moving and like okay we got to go to commercial <laughs> yeah I really noticed that after there wasn't the normal banter about the weather right after everybody was very it like leveled everybody which I thought was absolutely appropriate for it to be into if they were going to be like oh it's storms coming in from the west I'd be like what the fuck did you hear what he just said and they didn't they totally behaved with the levity that they needed to with what you just shared and that's, that's what I think like Good morning, America. You're reaching. You're reaching as many people as you as can. I would say everybody, but I mean you're reaching people. And it was that moment when my friend said that to me, that that's when I knew this was bigger than me. Have a lot of victims reached out to you direct? Yes, and I. I, I, it's weird to say that I love them reaching out because obviously horrible things have happened, but right. it's something that we can we have a we have a common thing about, you know. And there have been people reaching out to me about what can I do, how can I help, and that's something you know that I'm figuring out the answer for. All this stuff, whether it's men or women, is so what I'm finding out is so underfunded. The statistics in men haven't been updated since 2005, and even in 2005, they weren't really accurate because men don't want to talk about this. And in women, it's just the numbers are crazy on college campuses. It's one in three. For men, it's one in six have been sexually assaulted, whether that's by a male or female. One in six, that means somebody walking around that you're going to see in Target has been sexually assaulted. So we have all these statistics, but what are we doing about it? And we can't even collect new data because I believe people are just like, that's just the way it is. And that's like going back to like an almost a 1940s type mindset of, oh, that's just the way it is. You mentioned when you were 12, you had something happen. Now, is that something your parents knew about also? Or you just... No, my parents knew about that. Um, I told them about that um, in high school. So I guess to have it happen again, it's been very hard for them. A parent's one job is to protect their kid. That's number one. And I can only speak from my experience. I don't know if other people feel this way, but I don't know. I, I was feeling that about you when you were sharing all this. Like, God, if you were my son, like, I just... 
would just be such a struggle to to know what to do you know do your parents check in with you do you guys have like very open lines of communication and your sister how is it affecting her since the interview it's been um i feel like the elephant in the room it's not that communication's gone it's not that it's you know we're, we have a strained relationship it's just that everybody needs to process right now everybody needs to you know almost take a breath because we're all dealing with it on different fronts. All, all our friends are asking. All our, it, it's, like I said, it's not just my trauma. It's now, it's, a, it's, it's having a ripple effect. And that was what, even what I was talking about yesterday. There, are there groups for parents to talk about this, talk about rape? This is something that A large group, I know 24 million men are experiencing this. This this, this isn't a small number, you know. We need to be better. Do you regret coming out publicly? I don't. I don't regret it at all. I believe it was the right decision for me. I believe it was the right decision for a change that needs to happen. You can always sit back and say, I wish I did this, I wish I did that, I wish I was more prepared, I wish I was whatever, but when it's time, it's time. I originally was just coming out um, in an article. I was, I was really focused on New York Magazine. I just wanted to do New York Magazine. And then we got a call from Robin Roberts. And you either step into that moment or you don't. And I felt then, I'm like, if I don't step into this moment, maybe this moment never happens. No male has ever gone this public with rape. There's been talk of molestation, which is just childhood rape but no male has ever talked about being raped as an adult, which happens every day. So I stepped into this moment. And I'm not, I've said I'm not trying to be some activist or, I just wanna lend my voice and join in with the organizations that are already doing the work. And maybe one day, you know, when I stand up tall and whatever, maybe one day I can be an activist, so to speak. But right now I'm just a survivor trying to help. Do you think part of coming out so publicly about it is a way of combating the shame that comes with sexual assault? It's taking your power back. It's saying to my rapist, you didn't break me. In fact, you made me stronger. And now I am going to use every bit of power to make sure that all these predators know that we're not going to be victims anymore. How has this affected your music? It's opened me up to a new level. Um, Not saying I'm writing all these sad songs, but... 
It's allowed me to express myself. It has definitely allowed my music to grow. Not all music's happy, but not all music's sad. Sometimes there's just a happy medium. And that's why, you know, with my my new song, dealing with it, yeah, it's it's a dance record, but at the same time, the subject matter is about trauma. It's about dealing with it. Any advice you can give for anybody that's going through this that may not have told anybody yet or come out? I think the number one thing that I want to say is to all the people who might get the chance to, or not the chance, to, to, to have to talk to a, a victim or survivor, the number one thing you need to say is to avoid the shock. Avoid it. Avoid the shock. Avoid the tears. Just say that you believe them. Say that you believe them and say that you're going to help. And that doesn't mean that it's all on you. Whether that's, you know, I'm going to help and then you end up calling their parents or you end up going to the, bringing them to a center, whatever. You can, you know, you can basically wash your hands, so to speak, if you're not able to take it all the way. But don't just leave them hanging. If they reach out to you, pick up the ball, take it a couple yards, and pass it if you have to. But do your part. That's great advice. Well, good thing you didn't tell me because I would have just been the friend that cried, as you can tell. <laughs> I'm such a crier. But I would not have dropped the ball, just so you know. It just, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with the, with the tears. It's just the, that initial moment. Just tell them you believe them. Those, for those, it's, 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 it's the human reaction to be shocked. It's human reaction to cry. I believe you. Give them a hug and then the water. Go ahead, do the water works. <laughs> I'm glad I asked you this because it wouldn't have occurred to me to have to validate that they're saying that their truth. And I hope that people listening, not that I hope that you're ever in a position to have to say that to a friend, but now I hope you feel a little bit more prepared to, to deal with it and help your friend and not drop the ball. But know that it's okay to pass it. That's the first, those are the people that I'm angry with the most, I would say. I'm more angry with them than I am, I feel, even the rapist, because I feel like they allowed my life to spiral out of control. Because you did reach out, then they just ignored it. Yes. That's got to be really painful. Definitely, and that, that's what I'm talking about in therapy the most, I believe. <laughs> it's almost like, why did they want me to die? Because is that how you felt? Because you did mention you wanted to harm yourself. Yeah. I was going over the edge. Because when you get to the point where you don't care, like when you're driving a car and you just, you're driving 90 and you don't care. When the police comes behind you and you just keep going. You might put the gas on a little more. When you don't care and you're not hoping that the police catch you or, you know, save you or whatever, that's when, you know, things are scary. No, this did not happen to Zeke. There was no crazy car chase ending in him driving off of a cliff, like in the movie Thelma and Louise. And despite us laughing so loud about this that we essentially wrecked the audio, it felt good to let loose after an afternoon of such intimate sharing. 
The overall message was not lost on me. In fact, I lie awake at night thinking about how let down Zeke felt, how powerless he felt, how incredibly alone. He said he was more mad at these quote-unquote friends of his that he let in and told about his rape, who did nothing, who left him to twist in the wind and deal with this pain alone. He was more mad at them than his rapist. Let that sink in. He was more mad at them than the man who drugged and raped him and left him bleeding and scared and alone. Because in essence, they also left him bleeding and scared and alone for an entire year. Now I realize this is a heavy story to be told to you if you were that friend. But don't just bow out. Ask for help. Don't know where to go for help? Check out rain.org. It's the home for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization and was named one of America's 100 Best Charities by Worth Magazine. That's R-A-I-N-N org. The National Sexual Assault Hotline, operated by RAIN, serves people affected by sexual violence. It automatically routes the caller to their nearest sexual assault service provider. You can also search your local center at RAIN.org. The hotline number is 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. Says Zeke, Everyone heals in their own time and in their own way. The path isn't always a straight line, and you don't need to go it alone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Eyes Up, Heart Open. Big thank you to Zeke for not only stepping forward to share his story with the world, but for also providing the music for us from his new single, Dealing With It. Available through iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm dealing with it.